Good morning, we're David and Nancy Geyerson. Our scripture reading today is found in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26, and then in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and they taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now turn to Acts 13, beginning with verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you so much, Dave and Nancy. Uh, uh, Dr. David Geyerson is the new... Dave, what is the title? Headmaster, Pre- uh, President, Big Cheese? Uh, Headmaster at Maranatha High School. And uh, their new members will be welcoming them later. And I'll just tell you, longtime friends, uh, I just thank God for both of you. And I'm so thankful you're here. And Dave will be preaching in a few weeks. He is a great preacher. So I'm not going to tell you which week, so you have to come every week and find out which one it is. Uh, yesterday was such an interesting day at our home. I was uh, at my computer uh, getting ready for the message today, changing a few things, when our dog, who is usually so quiet, started barking like crazy. And I thought, what is this? And I rushed over to the door and I saw going past the patio, down over the hill, I just saw sort of the rump of this huge California bear. Um, now, apparently what had happened was that this bear had been located just down the street from us uh, in a tree. The police had come. The bear didn't want the police to get him. (laughs) So he had taken off running, and then he came to our house, ran across the driveway, up over the fence, and then over there where I I got to to see him. Our dog was thinking, our dog's about 13 inches tall. (laughs) I can take that thing down, he thought. I can take it down. And... um, the police came up. I talked with them for a while. They said, I bet you didn't know you uh, sometimes had bears here. I said, oh, oh, yeah, our son sees this one, and he swims in the pool next door all the time. Now, this has nothing to do with the sermon, except 
I wanted to tell you the story, and I thought maybe I could tie it in this way. Maybe when Baxter, our dog, was barking, what he was really saying was, um, Covatus, Covatus, where are you going? Because that's the title of the sermon, right? So I'll tell you one of the most, a different story, a profound story that's been passed down through the history of the church. And it's been life-changing for many people, so I'll begin to tell you about it. It's about the Apostle Peter. Uh, the story's not in the Bible, it's just been passed down through the ages. The Apostle Peter had sensed a call or heard a call from Jesus to go to Rome right in the midst of the heavy persecution of Christians by the Roman government. And he had obeyed, but in the midst of the persecution, it had heightened and it had grown so bad that Christians were being killed. And on one particular day, at the height of the persecution, Peter is said to be fleeing from Rome and the persecution that was there. And as he was leaving the city, he met Jesus going the other way. I think I have one of the pictures that has been painted of this by Annabale Carace. I think right around 1600, because again, I tell you, this story has been one told in church after church for century after century. Uh, And in the story, um, Peter asked Jesus simply this question, the Latin version, covatus, covatus, which means where are you going? It's the same question that Peter had asked Jesus when Jesus had said, I'm leaving you now. Do you remember in John 13, 36? And Peter said, where are you going? But this time, as Jesus met him in a very different circumstance, it took on a different meaning. And this time when he asked the question, Jesus answered this, Romam varo iterum crucifigi. I must go back into Rome where I must be crucified again. Now, the point of the story is that that God has a calling upon a life and that calling is going to be fulfilled. And if Peter had been called by Jesus to go to Rome, even to face persecution, that if he is going to run from that, Jesus himself was going to go to make sure that the calling was fulfilled. And, And perhaps, you know, that the story tells us that Peter, sensing his unfaithfulness and renewing his commitment to obedience, turned around toward the city. He gained the courage to do what he had been called to do, uh, to give faithful witness to Jesus in the midst of all the persecution. And you may also know that as he was doing so, he was seized by the government. He was condemned to death. And as they said, we're going to crucify you the same way this Jesus was crucified, that Peter insisted on being crucified upside down. Now, again, I say Christians have told this story for centuries and always with this question coming, Covatus. Where are you going? It has far-reaching implications. It just doesn't mean where are you going today. It means where is your life going? Where is God sending you? And so that's the question I want to ask you today as you've gathered here. Covatus, where are you going? Now, as Christians have asked this, there have always been two assumptions. So I'm going to give these to you. It, It assumes that you have fully surrendered your life to Jesus. Have you? I mean, so that you no longer just live for yourself and that you are ready to go wherever he sends you. And number two, the assumption is that you actually believe that God knows you and that he sends you. That it's not just a pastor. It's not just a missionary who is sent. But once you surrender your life to Jesus, 
And, and you give, he gives his Holy Spirit to you so that at that moment, wherever you go, wherever you go tomorrow, you go with the Spirit of God, you go called to be his witness, you go called to be his ambassador, that every destination is ascending from God, every encounter is a divine appointment. Do you believe that? That where you go is not outside of his control. So again, I just want to ask you, Covatis. Where is God sending you? Now, I want to think about that question in the light of the text that Dave and Nancy read for us today. But just the second part. We're going to come back to the first part next week. Just Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. It talks about one church, a church in Antioch, that's now Turkey, in a very multicultural, multinational, multi-all-these-things a city. Uh, that had come together and one day they heard the call of God to send specifically two of their people to carry the gospel where it had never before been heard. Now most of them, their sendings, their callings were the same as most of ours. Most of us using the, 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 the language of the book of, of Acts are sent to our own Jerusalem, which is where God puts us right now. We're to be salt and light here. But some are sent to reach a different people, perhaps, from those usually reached by the church. Some are even sent to areas where the gospel hasn't been taken. And I want us to think about, just for a few moments, how that took place and whether we might learn how to hear the voice of God more clearly and to see tomorrow that when we get up, we are sent ones to represent Christ. So here, first point I want to make. I want you to see as you look, if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 13. I want you to see that God launched what was a church-centered, church-planting movement. The thing I want you to see, he launched it from an urban, uh, multicultural church. Now, here, many people have almost never read the Bible, so I've got to pull you back. You know, uh, when Jesus' ministry took place, it almost all took place in one little rural town. Did you know that? Most of the miracles, most of the teaching that you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John took place in a little bitty town called Capernaum. It was a little fishing village. Uh, They were all Jewish people. There wouldn't have been any diversity there whatsoever. But that's where Jesus' life and work and teaching took root. So it started there in that kind of a village community. But within ten years after Jesus' resurrection... Uh, the village center for the church had moved away and it had become an urban-centered movement of God. Uh, I'm going to think about that more next week. But when you read the book of Acts, did you know at least 40 cities are mentioned in the book of Acts? And the one uh, that we look at in Acts 13, this church in Antioch, Antioch was a world-class city. It was probably the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Uh, Rome, Alexandria, and Antioch. And I'll tell you, people from all over the world lived in Antioch. Um, Now, you can especially see what what is happening here, is that for the first time, God says this message must get out beyond just one people group, but to get to the whole world. And this is the first time that a church actually intentionally and strategically said, how can we fulfill what God's called us to do? And get this gospel beyond our four walls. Now, the gospel had gotten out from where it had started, from Jerusalem. 
But it had happened, if, if you read the story, it had happened because people ran out of Jerusalem because they were persecuted. And the Christians who were escaping persecution told people about Jesus. So, so some people outside Jerusalem were becoming Christians. That's how it had gotten to Antioch. And at least one time, a man named Philip had been sent specifically to reach, do you know that story, the Ethiopian eunuch? I think we had one Sunday talking about him. But this time, for the first time, a church actually meets and prays. And says, God, if that's what you would have us to do, we will do it. And people respond to that calling. Oh, excuse me just a minute. <clears throat> Hold on. Um, I need a button up here. Yeah, some water. <clears throat> Another dry sermon. Uh, first, first time I've made that joke at Lake Avenue Church. Ha. Huh. Let's see if that. <clears throat> that's a wonderful sound out there, isn't it? All right, now where was I? All right, um, this is the first time that a church actually stopped and sought the Lord and identified that we will send people where the gospel hasn't been heard. It's become a model for what we do here at Lake Avenue Church and for churches all over the world. Now what I want you to see, uh, turn the mic off just for a moment. Aha, maybe. Okay, turn the mic back on for just a moment. <clears throat> All right. Um, so look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. And I want you to see what has taken place here with the leadership. Who are the main teachers and prophets, as they're called? Five names are mentioned. There's Barnabas. He was a Jewish man from Jerusalem for a while, though even he had grown up in Cyprus, which was an island to the west outside of, of Israel. Then there's Simeon, that's a Jewish name, but do you notice his nickname? Niger. You want know Niger means? It means black. He was a man of color. And then there's Lucius. He came from Cyrene, um, which is in northern Africa. And you know where uh, Cyrene is now? See, I'm asking all these questions. It's in Libya. Can you believe it? The early church's leaders came out of a place like Libya. And then there's Manan, that it says was an intimate friend or a foster brother of Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, and, and he's the one, that Herod, who took the head of John the Baptist off. So here, this Manan church leader had grown up in probably a, a Roman culture kind of a home. And isn't it amazing, and maybe you've seen it in your own home, in that same home, one of the children... Grew up to be a violent anti-Christian and the other one became a church leader. So it is. And then there was Saul, also called Paul. He was a Jewish leader, a Pharisee. But you know, even he was this globally perspectived person because he had grown up in Tarsus and was a Roman citizen. So you see already, this is a very different kind of a church uh, from the church the way it had been before. And, and note this, if you look back at chapter 11, verses 19 to 21, that I think, Dave, you read about. When the uh, people in Antioch came to Jesus, others just took the gospel to Jewish people, but not these people. They carried the gospel not only to the Jews, but also to all the people, to the Greek-speaking people as well. So as you look at that, when you look at that sort of a message, what happens whenever God brings into our neighborhoods and into our lives people very different from ourselves? Have you ever noticed that you and I gain a much bigger perspective on the world? 
I just urge you to develop relationships across age lines and across lines of background. Walter had a good question. Where did you come from? If you just spend all of your time watching CNN, you only have one little perspective. At least watch both CNN and Fox News so that at least you can get stretched a little bit that way. But in a city like Antioch or here in Southern California, we can understand much more about the world because the whole world has been brought here. So I'm going to put it in another way. Have you ever noticed that when you actually meet and pray with Christians from other parts of the world and you hear about what God has done in their lives, that your understanding of God grows? Your understanding of what happens with the gospel? You, you hear the difference that Christ is making in other parts of the world and our whole understanding about the greatness of God and how the message of Jesus applies to all people groups at all times and everywhere expands. And so when that happens, then we become more ready to invite new people to come into the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. And that's what was happening in Antioch. God chose to start his movement of planting new churches out of an urban, multicultural, multi-ethnic church. And as I think about it, it's a church a whole lot like Lake Avenue Church. Second point. So then the Holy Spirit sent people out from that congregation for a whole new ministry. And here's what I want you to see. It happened while people were worshiping and praying and fasting. Uh, Look at at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and while they were fasting, then in that context, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me these two people. Now, there's some question here. Who was praying and fasting? Just the five leaders? Some of you are saying, I hope so. We'll just have our pastors do that fasting stuff. We, we don't want to get into that thing. <laughs> no, I, I think it was the whole church that was praying and fasting. And another point that a couple said Greg, you've got to talk about this. Do you notice in these three verses, fasting is mentioned twice. Uh, In verse 2, it's fasting and it says worshiping. The word really is serving, fasting and serving. And the second time is verse 3, fasting and praying. So if that was happening when God broke in, someone said to me, you've got to talk about fasting. We don't talk about fasting very often, do we? Do you know what fasting is? Let me try to demystify it for you. Fasting is just simply this. I think I wrote it down so that you can see it. In the Bible, it it is simply setting aside a mealtime for the purpose of seeking the Lord about some specific matter. My point is that seldom is fasting just an end in itself. I mean, a lot of people fast today because they say that will help me to lose weight. And I'm guessing if you do it enough, you will. Uh, or maybe it was the health purposes of it. And there's some evidence that there is, but that's not the main purpose in the Bible about fasting. Fasting is a negative action. In other words, we put something aside, uh, food or some other, some other thing that we do uh, that could distract us for the sake of a positive one so that we can have more time to serve the Lord or especially to spend time in prayer. Now, the prayer, uh, fasting is not some magic potion. So often we look, how can I get God to do what I want him to do? That's not what fasting is about. It's not some magic wand that God gives to us. It is our opportunity in the midst of a very busy life to set aside some time 
and to say, I know I need to meet with God. I need to seek him. I need to know where he would have me to go and what he'd have me to do. And so in the midst of the day, we set aside some time that we would normally be eating. And we spend time there with the Lord. Now, in the Bible, usually fasting is a 24-hour period. It can be longer. Some people have very long fasts. It can be shorter. I mean, even if you just set aside one meal time simply to be with the Lord, you will find that, well, what I find is in those moments, often my head is clearer, and I know that that's why I've met, stopped for a few moments, and often it's in those times that we hear that we hear the voice of God. Just quite practically and frankly, when my stomach growls, I'm reminded to pray. (laughs) And I'm reminded why I've stopped to do this, because I need to seek the Lord. And the whole point that I see here is, it seemed like this way of life, of serving God and setting some time aside to fast, praying and setting aside some time to fast, had become a way of life there among the people in Antioch. And really Jesus talked about it that way. In the Sermon on the Mount, he would say, when you pray, when you fast, just sort of taking it for granted that a spiritual discipline that has been much forgotten is something that I think I'm going to be recommending to us all as we're seeking to know where God might be sending us. So the point is this. This was already a church that was outwardly focused carrying the gospel to all the Gentile people who were there in their city. This was a church that had a much broader understanding of the world, so God was equipping them for the task. And this was a church ready to seek the Lord and say, Lord, where would you have us to go? And when they prayed and prayed together, the Lord broke in. They heard from God. And I just believe that the same thing will be true of us. Third point. So then those who were called to this one specific task by the Holy Spirit were not just fasting and praying. They were already serving the church faithfully. Now, in verse two, I don't know if you what Bible version you have, but the word that's translated worship there is a word that much more often is simply used for rendering service, sacrificial service that brings benefit to the people of the church and benefit to other people. So, so what's going on here is that you had a, a church that was praying, but it was also a church that was serving. And I think especially these five people were actively serving. And the people that, that know the leading of God are those who are already engaged in serving Christ. Now, the, those first three, we don't know a whole lot about them. But Paul and Barnabas, we do know a lot about them. Uh, Paul was, you know, from the earliest days on. Going out and proclaiming the gospel, being willing to pay any price to do what God would have him to do. And Barnabas, you may not know him as well. His real name was Joseph. And uh, do you remember? He was the one that when there were needs in the church, he sold a house and gave all the money. He, he was this one that when Paul had come to Christ and everybody was afraid of this man who was out to kill Christians. Barnabas said, this is real and brought him into the church. And even here, the reason why Barnabas was in Antioch. Well, you, you can imagine this. When the more Jewish church in Jerusalem uh, heard about all this stuff happening in Antioch, can, can't you imagine their worship services were different in Antioch than Jerusalem? I'm sure they said, what kind of music are they singing in that place up there? What are they doing in that church? Barnabas was the one who sent because he had that open heart 
And he said, whatever else they're doing differently, God is in this place. You see, these people are already moving for the Lord. And it's kind of like a car. Have you ever tried to turn a car that's not moving? What do you pick it up and turn it? No, no, no. When the car is moving, then the steering wheel can be turned and things are moved. And as we are moving, serving the Lord, and we're seeking the Lord together, we will see that he directs us into the ways that we should go. Now, as I had thought about this happening in the Antioch church, it's just the way I think. I was thinking, does God still lead people like this today? Does he sometimes call us as individuals and people out of our church? I mean, Barnabas and Saul, uh, uh, they were not people that you would have wanted to leave the church. (laughs) They were active there. They're the kind of the pastor when you hear, oh, that person is going. Take a deep breath. Are we going to survive this? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? (laughs) They didn't just show up and leave. They were actively involved. Does God still lead like this today? All right. So I ask this all week. Myra, you're sitting right down here in the second row. So Myra Nolan, who you know heads up our ministry here into the community, told me a story that sounds a little bit like the Antioch story. Uh, so here it goes. You with me? Uh, Samir Hanna from our church and Leo Hurtado, two of the faithful people serving in our church, went to Myra, what, about a year and a half ago? And they, they had been finding that God was leading into our church and into their circle of friends, all sorts of people who were coming interested in Jesus, but their lives, their lives were trapped by, by addictions. And they asked Myra, they said, now, could we start, it's a ministry called Celebrate Recovery, which is a ministry to help people to find the freedom within the community of Christ, the freedom from the things in the past, liberation from addictions like drugs and and alcohol and gambling and pornography and all the different things that trap the lives of people in our day. Um, As people come to Jesus in the community, that's that's we want them to come to know Jesus, but also to find a newness of life. So Myra did what I would have done. She turned to Samir and Leo and said, would either one of you like to lead that kind of ministry? And both of them said that they didn't think that they had been called or gifted to do it. So we see there was a new work that needed to be done among a group of people that God is bringing into our church and community. But we didn't know that whether there was anyone that God had put his hand on to give leadership to. So Myra told me that nothing visible came from that first conversation that she had with Leo and Samir. But I believe Samir and Leo kept praying. Now, recently... Myra was deleting some of her old emails and she came across one email from Samir and it was about an entirely different matter, but it jogged her memory about that one. So she decided to write a note to Samir asking if he'd thought any more about this recovery ministry. And he said, well, the needs are still great. In fact, the opportunities are growing. And he'd recently learned that there's going to be a training conference for this kind of recovery ministry in our area down at Saddleback Church. And again, he said, Myra, couldn't Lake Avenue Church send someone to do that? So Myra went down the hall and asked Tega Warku. Do you know Tega? He heads up our counseling ministry here at the church. He said, has Lake Avenue Church ever done this kind of recovery ministry? And she learned that indeed we have. And he also said, we have growing needs and opportunities in this area. However, what Sega said is, we've got to have 
some lay people from the congregation who sense God's call and, and, and are ready to go into that. So what happened was Sega and Myra and Samir and Leo decided to continue to pray that God would raise up a leader. At the same time, Myra, you forwarded the email on to Than Veltman, who heads up our community meal on Sunday nights and a lot of other things in the community, and asked him to pray about it too. Well, just a few days later, Than told Myra that he and his wife, Ruthina, who also comes from West Virginia, in case you just I throw in these little facts to make sure you stick with me, that they had just had dinner with a couple from Lake Avenue Church, and that couple, as Than was sharing this, told him that they had been praying for the last year, year and a half, about a very specific ministry that they thought maybe God was calling them to that would be focusing on people longing to find recovery from addictions. I'll tell you, as this couple heard from Than, that we here have already been praying about that too, Myra said, they were beyond excited. And then when Than went and shared with them about the upcoming training conference for recovery ministries, they thought, it seems like God is at work among us. And that brings me to an interview I want to do. I'd like Phil Seitz to come up for just, just a few moments here this morning. Phil, um, I'm so thankful that you're willing to be here last night. This morning and tonight we're going to be at the community meal again. So I, I think I have a picture of you and uh, Carmen, your wife, because she's out taking care of uh, a sick child, Gabriel, from your family, too. Yeah. I wanted to put her up because with you and me, it, this helps the appearance a lot better to have Carmen up here with you. So. Yeah, we're, we're definitely a team. Okay. Uh, do we have Phil's mic on? Yeah. Yeah, we're definitely a team. So, Phil, just kind of walking through this text. You and Carmen have already been serving here in the life of the church for a while. Tell us a little bit about where you've been serving. Uh, well, thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity. Um, since becoming members here at Lake, we have served in many areas, Carmen and I both being active in Bible studies and ministries. Carmen in MOPS, helping with kids and, and doing Bible study while working two jobs and being a sister to those women in need. And I doing my regular job plus the cooking for the homeless and serving in the flower ministry. And on occasions, Carmen would come and help serve and prepare the food with me for the homeless. About a year ago, we joined the care ministry. It is similar to the flower ministry. We go out into the community to visit those who need help for various issues, mostly for health and recovery from surgery. Last year, Carmen felt called to be in the prayer ministry. I felt it was a good thing for her. She has lots of compassion for people is a good listener, and has a very caring spirit. I guess God was calling me, too, because I was told by Lois, our prayer leader, that, really, that they really needed me for this ministry because they are short of men. So I joined, and I'm grateful to be part of the team. The Holy Spirit has moved through my heart like never before, like never I have felt before, and has taught me how to pray for people from my heart. I did feel a little overwhelmed, But God has fixed my schedule to manage it. I even recently started in a mentor program and am now mentoring a boy, who I, think, who I think at times is mentoring me more than I am him. And most recently, I, have, I was asked to bring the prayer ministry to the homeless feeding. 
I thought this was a great idea and jumped on it. My wife and I only just started this a few weeks ago. Many of the men and women that come to eat on the Sunday evening are in need of some sort of recovery. Some have shed their tears with me and are crying out for help and to connect God. They are desperate for our prayers now and each day. When I am praying for one of the men or women that ask me to pray, I feel their pain and suffering like never before. And I call for the Holy Spirit to lead us and to use me to reach them. This is the blessing that God has given me. I am honored to be used by the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, so, with all of these going out into the community, with you being there, feeding the homeless, with you going out and praying with the people who come, has that brought you, it's kind of a silly question, into a, a... uh, relationship with a broad range of the kind of people who live here in Pasadena and broad range of needs? Uh, yes, definitely, Pastor. We have gotten to know much of the staff and pastors, and that has been a blessing. Carmen and I have made quite a few friends here at Lake. We even have regulars who come and ask us to pray with them. But most important is how our relationship with God has strengthened our lives to live being guided by Him. We make plenty of mistakes. But he forgives us and helps us to get up, brush it off, and move forward. The Lord has brought many people into our lives who have been a blessing and have helped us to deal with our own struggles. Thank you, thank you Jesus. Yeah, and Phil, then, um, as you heard that Samir, uh, Myra, Leo, uh, Than, Sega had been praying a year, a year plus about God to raise up somebody like this, um, and, and then found out that you were also praying. How did that hit you? Uh, and then how did you wait so long as you'd been praying for this? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Well, Carmen and I both have struggled with addiction in our past. We both spent probably half of our lives addicted to drugs or alcohol. And in working with the homeless feeding for the past three years, God has really opened our eyes to see that many people suffer in our own backyard. There needs to be more opportunity for these people to get recovery. And God is truly the only one who can save us and free us from the chains of our addiction. I think if you ask anyone who has been addicted to a substance, weight, gamble, or anything else that has become a problem in their life that they have no control over and are now sober, what was the first thing they did to get sober? Almost everyone will tell you they cried out to God for help in some way. So that tells us we need God for us to be and stay sober. He is our strength and the only one who can prepare us. Thank God for that. Overcomers and Celebrate Recovery are both Christian-based recovery groups. My wife knew we could use one of these groups here at Lake. So about a year ago, Carmen brought it to me, and we began to pray about it. We prayed for God to use us to help those suffering in our community. We weren't sure how to approach it, with the church or where to start, so we prayed about that too. I thank God prepared us through, I think God prepared us through the care ministry with reaching out to the sick and those recovering. And through the, the prayer ministry, teaching us how to listen for the, for people's needs and prayers and of course the Holy Spirit's guidance. Thank you so much, Phil. Now you've already heard, um, 
Phil is serving our church and the Lord and the community in so many ways. Uh, Phil, your favorite part is not getting up here in front of all of us and speaking, right? I'm a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but what a powerful message. And, and Phil, I just want on the behalf of all of us to tell you that we'll continue to keep you and Carmen in prayer. She's now taking care of a, one of her, uh, it's her niece's child. Gabriel? Yeah, his name's Gabriel. He just had brain surgery. Yeah, so that's why Carmen couldn't be here. But we'll pray for you as you go now to this recovery ministry because we're sort of at the beginning of what God is doing. And we are going to keep you and Carmen so much in our prayer. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. Brother. So if I can just put together why I really wanted Phil to come up. Do you see that God had already brought him into relationship with some people that God loves with his whole heart? And it's so much of our world, so much of our community and so much, I'm sure, among us who even show up at church, that there are things in our lives we just can't find freedom from. And yet God is great enough to give us the freedom. But a part of that happens from receiving Christ, getting forgiveness. But it also comes from the Holy Spirit empowering us from the inside out. But the other part is that it happens within the community of God's people. And uh, so in some ways, I feel like God is raising Phil and Carmen up to to go in and launch into a, a group of people that sometimes in the church we've sort of ignored. He's already brought you into relationship, given you a love, given you the right kind of background. As you see, already we're involved in prayer, active prayer, already involved in active service. I mean, I can't believe how that you're doing, Phil. But all that they needed was for the Lord to speak and to direct them in a certain direction. And that brings me to the last point that I want to make to you today. It's this, that we're just at the very beginning of this ministry. And also when we meet... uh, Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, it's just at the very beginning of their ministry. But I don't think they could have ever imagined what God was going to do. Can you? And so the result of them listening to God and people being sent out with with the church praying for them, being sent out, the result of it was more than they ever could have imagined. Now, we're going to be ending soon our study in Acts. We're only halfway through. We'll come back again someday. But the only way you're going to see what this work did is by reading the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, Paul and Barnabas being sent launched a movement of church planting that changed the Roman world. So quickly, churches were planted in Cyprus, Antioch of Pisidia, a different Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, Derbe. Churches sprang up. In those churches, people were worshiping Jesus. People were putting their lives on the line for Jesus. I just think about it this way. On that day of prayer and fasting, when when the Holy Spirit said, set aside these two men and send them, they could never have imagined that eventually the gospel would reach to you and me. That all that they had to do was listen and take that step of obedience. And then they would see that in obedience to Christ, more things happened than they ever could have imagined with their whole lives. Uh, Phil and Carmen stand at the very beginning of what God might do, we don't know about that for sure. But I want you to also know that just as they are being sent, I want you to see yourself as being sent. And so I want to end my message with this question. Covatus. Covatus. Where are you going? 
if we could put those two assumptions back up that I had immediately. When I ask you that question, I'm assuming that you have fully surrendered your life to Jesus. That as you come to church today, that you would say, my life is yours. Lord, where would you send me? And also that you do believe that it isn't just Phil and Carmen, but that every Christian has a, has a calling and every Christian has a sending. Some of the sending is going to be to the schools this fall as a teacher, as a student. There are all sorts of places where God sends, but I want you to hold on to this. Lord, I give my life to you. And when you give your life to him, he sends you and me to be his witnesses into our Jerusalem and eventually to the ends of the earth. This week, there are two things I want to ask you to do. I want you to prayerfully consider the place to which God is sending you this day. Covatus, where are you going? When you leave church today and you go wherever you go tomorrow, where is he sending you? And the people to whom he might be sending you. Uh, Phil, God is sending you to people who need to find the freedom and liberating power of Christ within the community of Christians. Where is he sending you? Identify that. And that means the second thing I want you to do is this week. I want you to spend more time in prayer. And add some time for fasting. Add some time for fasting. Remember that we can pray on our own, but the Christians in Antioch were praying with other Christians. So if you're in a small group, will you set aside some time to pray for one another that you might sense in a new way the people to whom and the places to which God might be sending you? If you don't have anybody to pray with, then I want you to come up at the end of the service. We'll have our pastors and prayer counselors here to my left, to your right, and they will pray with you. Because we pray individually, but we often need to have another brother or sister to join us in prayer. I think a big part of what happened in this situation is that the prayers of Phil and Carmen were mixed together with the prayers of God's people here. More and more. I don't know what you feel. Visitors, you're here for the first time. But more and more, I believe that God led us to the book of Acts to prevent a local church like ours from coasting. Just doing what a church does to keep us from just being in a maintenance mode, doing what whatever we think, check, 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 that's what Christians do, with all the internal wheels working, but going nowhere, treading water into no new people groups, into no new ventures, into no new exploits for the kingdom of God. I want each one of us To know that God has given himself to us. And I want us to be serving wherever we are. I want us to be praying fervently for God to guide and empower us. And then I want each one to go from this service as those sent by God. To be a part of what he is doing in the world. And I tell you, this place and this city will be filled with the glory of God. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we have just looked at three verses of your word. And yet, we're here because that church 
heard that people were to be sent where churches had never been planted and where the gospel had never been heard. And that throughout the centuries, people have read this same text that we are reading and have asked Covatus, where are we going? Father, I pray in this coming week might be a, a, a week in which each one of us might sense a fresh leading of your spirit. That as scientists go into their world of science or engineering, that they will go there to do their work well, but will go there sent by you to be your witness. That as attorneys go into their place of work, that they will go there to use their skills to seek justice and to provide compassion, and that they will go there as your ambassadors. That as our teachers and students go back to their schools, that they will go there to learn or to teach, but always to bear witness to who you are. Father, help us to hear afresh where it is that you are sending us, and then go with the confidence that comes when we know that you go with us in the name of Jesus. Amen. For us this morning, but may this, the words of the song, be our prayer for our present times and for our future. It says, If you say go, if you say go, we will go. If you say wait, we will wait. If you say step out on the water, and they say it can't be done, we'll fix our eyes on you, and we will come. Say go, we will go. If you say wait, we say wait. If you say step out on the water, if you say it can't be done, we'll fix our eyes on you and we will come. many of you actually singing that 
So now we have to live it. Well, today you heard from Walter that we have a lot of people. I think there are even more than 33 who are officially joining this great church fellowship. And this morning we have several that I would like to come. Last night we had twice as many as I thought. So maybe we'll have half as many. I see Dave and Nancy and others. If you'll come up and join me, those who are becoming new members of the church. Oh, I see Christy coming. Oh, yes. And Naomi, you need to come again. Ah, yes, maybe this is why you sat right down front. So good to have you here. And uh, as you can tell, uh, the members at Lake Avenue Church are getting better and better looking, just uh, to to let you know. (laughs) Let me go down and just introduce you to some of the folks who are here. Uh, This is... Now, Naomi, this is the first time I've seen your last name, Fujisawa. Do I say that right? Naomi, I remember the first time you came to church and you were crying the first time I met you. And uh, so much of the renewing and freeing work of God, we see it happening in your life. Welcome. I'm so glad God sent you here. And I just want to encourage you that just as I think you can serve us and our children, that we see God at work within you. And Dave and Nancy, so good to have you as a part of this time together. We've known one another since, uh, Dave, you and I uh, were a lot younger. Chris and Nancy look exactly the same, of course. But uh, Dave and Nancy are longtime followers of Jesus, tremendous leaders, understanding and knowing the word. I, I just know that God will make you such a blessing to us. And I pray we will be to you as well. Though you've walked with the Lord a long time, we still have more to learn. And may it happen here among us. And Christy, I need to get to know you better. But welcome, welcome to the life of the church. How long have you been coming? About a year and four months. A year and four months. And you'll be getting married soon. And your last name will be? Shun. Shun. Okay. Well, welcome to the church, Christy. And I pray that you'll just love it here, find friends here and fellowship here and grow toward completion in Christ and also find a place here to serve. And we have... Joyce Baines. Joyce, welcome. I always, I think I always tell you I love it when you have your hat. My mom always wore a hat to church. And uh, so it makes me feel more at home. Joyce, how long have you been coming? Three years. Three years. And I can tell, I can tell you're not from, uh, uh, from New York originally. From Texas. We welcome people from West Virginia, Texas, and all in Singapore, from all over the world. <laughs> to all of you, I'll ask you simply to stay. Will you be willing to stay up here? At, at my home church, we always offered the, uh, we called it the right hand of fellowship. So if you would just come up, a few of you have heard that before, and just welcome them to the life of the church. Phil, I want you to come as well. Will you come up over here? I know you'd love to have Carmen with you. We are so thankful for what God has done in your life and for the way God is using you now to further what he's done in your life and the life of others. So be sure to come up and tell Phil, too, that you'll be keeping him in prayer. And maybe even some of you might join him in ministry. What do you think? If our pastors and prayer counselors will come to the left, to be right here at the front. You see, Lois is the last one coming in. Lois, I'm so glad you got Phil into the prayer ministry and said we need more men praying. We do still, don't we? 
We all need to be a praying people. So if you don't, be sure to come and pray about any matter, coming to know Jesus or any issue that you might be facing in your lives. So why don't we stand now? It's been just such a good morning of being here in the house of the Lord. So we've been here to meet with him. And now, Covatus, where are you going? Where are you going? Where is God sending you? Let us pray that we might know his presence and blessing in new ways as we are sent. Let's pray. Father, we have gathered here to hear your word, to sing praise to you, to welcome new members and to do so many things. And now we go as your sent ones into our places of work, into our neighborhoods, into our families. And Father, we will face the challenges this week that we faced last week, and some of them may be greater, but you go with us. So bless us with the blessing of knowing your presence and your sufficiency so that, Father, we might live in such a way that people will see us but see you within us and will give praise and glory to your name. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.